Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Canada is banning Huawei from the country's 5G telecom networks. We will always protect the safety and security of Canadians and will take any actions necessary to safeguard our telecommunication infrastructure. Telecommunication companies in Canada will not be permitted to include in their networks products or services that put our national security at risk. Reactions to Jason Kenney's resignation as a new leadership candidate steps forward. I just want to start off by thanking Premier Jason Kenney for all the work that he's done over the, the last number of years. He and I had a number of differences on a number of things, but we had far more that we agreed upon. And Pierre Poiliev faces backlash for comments he made during a podcast. He says, I'm a believer in using simple Anglo-Saxon words that strike right at the meaning that I'm trying to convey. It's Friday, May 20th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Joanna Smith, the Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Canadian Press. Good morning, Joanna. Good morning, Mark. So Canada is banning Huawei from its 5G telecom networks. And this is this is a topic that's a decision that's been in the works for a very long time. And it's been debated back and forth. And uh, it, of course, has it it was present during all of the uh, concern and anxiety over Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor being detained in China. Uh, And there's just so much to this story and so much backstory as well. Um, What many people were were calling on the government to do this sooner. uh, And and here we are. What what went into this decision and what took so long? So as you were mentioning the the fact that the the men known around the world as the two Michaels were detained in China for so long, a lot of people really thought that that was one reason Canada was taking so long to make this decision. Um, but they came home in September now, so it's been eight months later. So yesterday, Innovation Minister Francois-Philippe Champagne, when being asked about why this was taking so long, he said this is not a race. Um, you know, they really wanted to get this right, which is a sort of a common answer we hear from this government. But there were many agencies involved in this decision, um, and this is something they've been asked about for for a long time. Um, it, you know, I think it's important to note that in the meantime, uh, while Canada was sort of figuring out this decision, the telecommunications companies in Canada had already sort of moved ahead on the assumption that Huawei would eventually be banned and had moved ahead and and chosen ways to work around it. You know, um, they've been managing this uncertainty by working with Sweden's Ericsson, Finland's Nokia, and South Korea's Samsung to help build their 5G networks. And Rogers actually came out yesterday and said, really, this this new decision has no impact on our plans. So, But meanwhile, you know, the Liberals have come under a lot of criticism. The Conservatives and other critics have long pressed the Liberals to deny Huawei a role in building the country's 5G infrastructure. The sort of argument is that it would allow Beijing to spy on Canadians more easily. And some have said that Huawei's participation could give it access to an array of digital information, um, you know, from how and when and where Canadian customers use Internet-connected devices. And then, in turn, the theory goes that Chinese security agencies could force the company to hand over the personal information. Um, Huawei, of course, has steadfastly insisted it's it's a fiercely independent company, and, and their spokesman 
Alakan Velshi, who we remember in Ottawa from conservative circles, having worked for Prime Minister Harper and uh, Jason Kenney as well, uh, said to us yesterday, you know, I think the Liberals were looking for a headline that they've banned Huawei, and, and now here they got it. But meanwhile, also, I mean, Canada's partners in the Five Eyes Intelligence Sharing, Sharing Alliance, that's the United States, Britain, Australia, New Zealand, had already taken big steps to curb the use of Huawei yeah. in their country's respective networks. So... Really, I don't think anyone was expecting the decision to go any other way. It's it's just that it took a really long time. Yeah, and I think just quickly before we move on to other things, I think it, it does raise questions uh, nonetheless, even though it was the expected outcome about Canada's relationship with China and what this means for future decisions about technology. And, and, and it does raise, once again, as you pointed out, the fear that many... Uh, countries have that China is using private companies or pseudo private companies that that have some relationship with the state as a way of of spying on on uh, on the activities of other uh, countries and the companies in them. That's right. I mean, it, when we're talking about five G, it's a uh, you know this this next generation, fifth generation wireless networks. That you know, it's it's not just about giving people faster online connections. It's, it's also about this vast data capacity needed to meet, you know, demand as more and more devices linked to the internet. You know, we're thinking, you know, self-driving vehicles, things like that, right? So yeah. so we're, we're not just talking about vulnerability here when people are logging into laptops um, at home and at work, which is all, or using their cell phones, which is already, of course, a really big deal, but we're talking about your fridge being connected. There's just so much data available that I think, you know, this, this National Security Review, um, and given everything that our partners in the Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance as well, I think I think that just it was decided that there was too much of a risk there. Yeah. All right, Joanna, let's turn to uh, the decision of Alberta Premier Jason Kenney to step down as leader of the United Conservative Party. And this has played out, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say this is a, almost like a Shakespearean sort of drama that's playing out in Alberta and people across the country even here in Ottawa, we're talking about the ramifications of that and what it means for for conservatism in Canada, the conservative movement. Um, there, there are also questions just a, of a practical nature about exactly when Jason Kenney is going to step down. He announced he would step down the other night, but he isn't stepping down for a while yet, and it makes you wonder whether he'll try to hang on to his job or, or make something change. But in the meantime, there are people, including Danielle Smith, who are running to replace him. They've already announced that. So there's a lot going on here. And it's not just about Jason Kenney, but as I said, about the future of the conservative movement in this country. That's right. So as you noted, it was quite a shocker when Kenney announced that he would be stepping down when he just narrowly won a leadership review with just just over 51% of the vote. Um, And then yesterday we found out that he's not stepping down just quite yet, that he, you know, his letter of resignation to the party said that he would stay on until a new leader was chosen, and the United Conservative Party caucus decided, uh, its members decided that Kenny should stay on until a new leader is chosen, rather than going with an interim leader. Um, so we will have, you know, no timing yet on when that leadership election vote could be, but, you know, we're presumably looking at another half year or so of, of Kenny remaining as premier, uh, despite knowing that he will be stepping down, um, some of the caucus critics had called for him to step down immediately to help heal these divisions. And, and really, um, 
it's these divisions that have, as you said, reverberated right across the country. And something definitely we saw the Liberals starting to exploit uh, yesterday, Tourism Minister Randy Boissonneau, who is, of course, uh, a Liberal MP from Alberta, was sort of suggesting that Kenny was uh, kicked out because he's not extreme enough, you know, and opponents in his caucus have said, however, you know, there was a lot of um, anger over decisions he made as premier to to limit personal responsibility, liberties, sorry, during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, but, you know, opponents in his caucus have also said there was dissatisfaction over his management style, um, which they describe as top-down and dismissive. They hadn't really done enough to gain a better deal for Alberta with the federal government on shared programs. So it's it's more complicated than than just a matter of ideology. Um, but but you know there's definitely been some some questions raised. You know there was a widely uh, shared article by Sean Spear, who's a former advisor to Harper, and he's now at the Hub, and that's where he wrote the piece. And he said, you know, I see a scared and angry minority that doesn't define itself based on what's good and right, but rather by a sense of embattlement and opposition. And and people have been noticing that this sort of uh, rhetoric is something, um, or this sort of feeling, the sentiment, is is something that, that con- federal conservative leadership candidate Pierre Polyev is really speaking to, right? Um, and so I think... After just you know recent moves, uh, criticisms by finance critic Ed Fast, and then him having to to leave that role over over speaking out against Polyev, uh, I think people are drawing drawing some lines there and sort of wondering um, if this is in fact you know has, goes way beyond Jason Kenney and Alberta and right across the country into yeah. where the Conservatives are headed. Yeah, and speaking of Pierre Polyev and the Conservative leadership race, um, he's being criticized for comments that he made in an interview on a podcast with Jordan Peterson, um, uh, the divisive uh, kind of polarizing author and um, uh, a university professor and, uh, and, uh, and harsh critic on social media of, of uh, many things that are going on, uh, in which Pierre Poiliev used the, uh, he was asked uh, kind of a, a, a sort of softball question by Jordan Peterson about why uh, his message is resonating. And part of what Poiliev said was they used Anglo-Saxon words uh, in his in his messaging, which people have interpreted uh, in a number of ways. So that's that's provoked a very strong reaction. Yeah, that's right. He says, I'm a believer in using simple Anglo-Saxon words that strike right at the meaning that I'm trying to convey. So this this term, Anglo-Saxon words, it's, it's, it's often been used, as I'm sure you're familiar with this too, in, in writing and editing circles to refer to shorter, plainer words in the English language as compared to Latinate words. So, for example, you know, on, on these sort of lists, um, an Anglo-Saxon word would be good. And a Latinate word would be favorable. Anglo-Saxon would be help. Latinate would be facilitate. You know, the Cadian Press has an entire section of its Cops and Spelling book, which is one of our style manuals, on, on plain words. It doesn't say Anglo-Saxon versus Latinate, but same sort of idea, right? Help yeah. versus facilitate. And, I, you know, when I was teaching journalism, I used to tell my students it was the anti-thesaurus. You're not looking to make your language more flowery. You're looking to make your language clearer and plainer. So try and find these simple words like this. But others, of course, um, you know, many heard it as, as a dog whistle in that by Anglo-Saxon, he was talking about white people, you know, that old phrase, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant wasp, right? So, you know, 
and an organizer of the Ottawa protest, um, Pat King, has also used this term Anglo-Saxon to warn of this white replacement theory, this, this um, white supremacist conspiracy theory, falsehood often used to justify hostility or, or violence against immigrants. Um, and I, th- I think what's happening here is that it might be confirming impressions that people already have at Pierre Polyev, um, even the choice of venue in which to say this. I mean, as you mentioned, Draven Pearson is a highly controversial and, and divisive figure. He really became Internet famous in 2016 when he said he would refuse as a professor to use the preferred pronouns of students or faculty at the University of Toronto, and he opposed Bill 16, which added gender identity or expression as prohibited ground of discrimination under the Canadian Human Rights Act. Um, you know, and Polyev has clearly been trying to link himself to the Peterson brand. He mentioned during last week's debate on stage that he was reading his book, 12 Rules. And, and it reminded me of um, when former Prime Minister Stephen Harper referred to old stock Canadians during that election debate in 2015. Right. Right. So yeah. during the debate on the issue of immigration, Harper had denied that his government had taken away health care benefits from immigrants and legitimate legitimate refugees, he said, um, saying that those who had been refused were, were bogus claimants. Um, and, he, you know, he said this is something that I think both new and existing and old stock Canadians can agree with. So um, I think, you know, Harper you know, could be understood to have just said, you know, Canadians who are who are not immigrants, but many, of course, took it as a, as a dog whistle, similar to this case. And if you remember at that time, the Conservatives were really going hard on the NICAB ban at citizenship ceremonies, and there was that whole barbaric cultural practices tip line. So people were really ready to assign malice to that phrase, and I think that's what's happening here too, and 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 maybe they're right, and maybe maybe they're not. But yeah, I can definitely understand how that use of the Anglo-Saxon term um, can be interpreted in in different ways, um, and and I think both those ways could be legitimate depending on where you know who people are, right, and, yeah. and what they're seeing and what they're thinking about Pierre Pelliot. All right, Joanna, great to have your thoughts on all of this today. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. That's Joanna Smith the Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Canadian Press. While 51% of the vote passes the constitutional threshold of a majority, it clearly is not adequate support to continue on as leader. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the National Post, Colby Kosh argues Jason Kenney's demise as Alberta Premier was inevitable. Kosh writes, The political hand Jason Kenney was dealt was far from perfect. The creation of the United Conservative Party, cobbled together from the bones of two dying parties, was bound to create a nucleus of resentment among those who lost power. He lost an appalling chunk of his caucus in a short time, and many did not invoke COVID regulations as a reason for disliking the Premier. They had just expected a different style of leadership. In the Toronto Star, Susan Delacourt argues raging Conservatives took down Jason Kenney And she asks if Pierre Poiliev is next. Delacorte writes, For all the efforts conservatives are making to harness the rampant rage out there toward Justin Trudeau, it's conservative leaders who keep falling. It was federal leader Aaron O'Toole a few months ago, Jason Kenney this week. Who will this raging political movement come for next? Pierre Poiliev, who has courted this populist rage most assiduously, should take note. He is no doubt enjoying being the current darling of the outraged set, But if he does win, sooner or later, he's going to fall afoul of them. It's inevitable. You can't lead a party or a country by constantly stoking rage. 
At ctvnews.ca, Don Martin argues Premier Jason Kenney deserved a better death. Martin writes, Jason Kenney is not without sin as a leader. He didn't understand the team concept or view his caucus as anything more than a one-man echo chamber. He repeatedly rubbed Albertans the wrong way with tone-deaf policies and plans. But if the driving force behind his dismissal was being too hard or too soft and never just right on pandemic-fighting policies, well, that's just crazy. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will hold a media conference in Munich after taking part in the G7 finance ministers and central bank governors meeting in Bonn. In Verdun, Quebec, Minister of Sport Pascal Saint-Ange and Justice Minister David Lametti will announce government assistance for projects to revitalize the region. And Governor-General Mary Simon will begin an official visit to British Columbia. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, May 20th. Tune into Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns Tuesday morning. Have a great long weekend.